Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Circle trying to shot. It's Tip Pedersen bats it in top of the crease. Elias Pedersen on the redirect in front. 29.5 seconds. Surely to God, Bo's winning every faceoff. We'll win the draw and we'll get it down and it'll be over. Burakovsky, right circle, shoots, blocked by Miller right at the buzzer and the game comes to an end. A huge shot block right at the end for JT Miller. There's like, oh, you know, like here we go again. And, and to, to fight to the end, it was made a huge block and, you know, Thatcher made some big saves, so it was great. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. It sure as hell is Sportsnet 650. Woo! We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. How are you now? I'm well. How are you? And Laddie. How are you, my friend? Hello, hello. Well, we're in a good mood here at the Kintech Studios, everybody. The Canucks have finally won a hockey game. Yes, it has finally happened. They have slayed the dragon. In this particular instance, it was a large octopus. But whatever the case, they have won a hockey game, and we're going into the weekend in style, my friend. The Vancouver Canucks last night absolutely catapulted past the Anaheim Ducks. Take that, Ducks. Just just like, you know, Anaheim sitting there with, like, we got three points. And the Canucks, now the Canucks have four points. Four points. It's like 25% more points than the Anaheim Ducks. Smath. What are the Ducks? The Ducks. What a bunch of losers. Screw you, Ducks. Screw you, Kraken. We are on our way to the top, ladies and gentlemen. We are excited here at the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Not just excited for the fact that the Canucks finally got that first win of the season. The, Fair- ducks, the ducks have a game in hand. Right. Right. <laughs> Math. Math is important. It's a part of the show. Uh, we are excited for the show that is about to transpire over the next three hours. 6.30, Sean Gentilly, our good buddy from The Athletic in Pittsburgh, is going to join us. No rest for the weary. The Vancouver Canucks limped back onto that plane. JT Miller, probably in particular, last night flew back home. Game tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. You know about it because we've been giving out tickets all week long. We'll talk to Sean about the Pittsburgh side of things. Did you see that tweet from another embedded Penguins reporter, Josh Yohei, yesterday talking about uh, Penguins practice at Rogers Arena? And how spicy and salty and fiery it was. Well, that's what happens when you lose two in a row in Alberta, and they weren't very good defensively in those no. games. So our thought that they might be fat and happy and sassy coming in. Maybe they have a rookie dinner in Vancouver. Maybe they go to Pierre's. They're skinny and non-sassy. They're starving. They are starving. They, and they are malnourished. The <laughs> yes, they are. Incredibly malnourished. <laughs> very weak. However, they've got the Canucks tonight at 7 o'clock. So Sean Gentilly will join us at 6.30 to talk about that. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation, Seahawks reporter. Now, if you had told me at the beginning of the season that, in, that on October 28th, the Friday leading into week 8 of the NFL season, that the game between the Giants and the Seahawks would have massive, massive playoff implications, I would have said you were crazy. But lo and behold, here we are. Brady to preview Seahawks-Giants on Sunday from Seattle. That's at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, it's the Moj. Talk about excitement in football right now. This final game of the season, regular season that is, for the BC Lions tonight in Winnipeg. 
The game means nothing, yet it means everything. Nathan Rourke is going to make his return to the BC Lions starting lineup. Tons of excitement, tons of intrigue around that. Moj at 8 o'clock to break that down. Back to the Seahawks, though, not, yes. to, not to discount the Lions. No, no, no. Did you know that this week the only game between teams with a winning record, the only game between teams with a winning record is the Giants and the Seahawks? I was not aware of that. Well, now you know. There's this a little game, bit of trivia. That was very well done. This is a, this is a big game. Mm-hmm. This is a very big game. You're talking about the best team in the NFC West on record. And then, of course, the 6-1 and one. New York Giants, who are right there with Philly for top team in the NFC. So lots, lots of football yeah. to watch yeah, this yeah. weekend, starting tonight with seeing how Nathan Rourke looks for the BC Lions and hopefully looks great. And the Lions head into that game against the Stampeders with high expectations and, and a big crowd. And then also you got Seahawks-Giants. Who's the other guest? That's it. Moj, Brady Henderson, Sean Gentilly. Three okay. guests today on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A ton of sports to get to, but I'm not going to waste any time telling you about them. You have a TV guide. You can figure it out. I need, I'm excited because I get to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Miss that? You missed that? Three weeks into the regular season, I finally get to utter these words. Canucks win! Canucks win! Canucks win! Your Vancouver Canucks held off the Seattle Kraken for their first win of the 2022-2023 NHL campaign, 5-4 at Climate Pledge Arena on Thursday night. It was also the 600th career win for head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Congratulations to the Canucks. Congratulations to Boudreaux. It was not, as we so often say, an oil painting. It was not a Mona Lisa. It was mostly some finger painting smeared on the wall. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Uh, Yeah, they got it done. Uh, They tried to not get it done. But but (laughs) against their own will, almost, the Vancouver Canucks. Got it done with a 5-4 win. Um, they were outshot 36-19. to 19. So it was almost 2-1 to one on the shot clock. Uh, similar to the Carolina game, I suppose, in that way. But the difference is, is that the Canucks found a way. And, man, it got uncomfortable at the end there. The Canucks scored an empty netter. And everyone in Vancouver was like, oh, they did it. They did it. You know, on Twitter, I was like, they've done it mm-hmm. so it was 5-3 Canucks right at the end there and then they took a penalty and it was like wait a minute they might not have done it perhaps they have not done it because Seattle scored on the power play um, and then there was a very uncomfortable 30 seconds remaining in the game and Seattle had some chances and right at the end because the Canucks couldn't clear the puck uh, the Kraken had a chance and JT Miller blocked the shot with his foot and the game was over, uh, and yet JT Miller was very uncomfortable on the ice. And frankly, I'm 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 going to be curious to see how that foot is for tonight mm-hmm. against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see how a lot of the guys are tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oliver Ekman Larson, because Quinn Hughes was out of the lineup, played a lot last night, and he looked tired. Yep, he looked gassed. He was, you know, I don't know what they're going to prop him up with Red Bulls and Tordal or whatever tonight mm. and, you know, just get him out there because the Canucks really 
fought and clawed their way to that win, even though at five on five, the Kraken were the better team. The Canucks are a bit fortunate that the Kraken do not have very good goaltending. Uh, that continues to be an issue for Seattle, but that's an issue for Seattle. And the Canucks were happy to take advantage of it. Um, on to Pittsburgh tonight. But, uh, you know, honestly, I'm sure that group is just feeling like, thank God we got a win. It doesn't matter, you know, what the analytics say. It doesn't matter what the shot clock says. All that matters is that we finally, after eight games, have a win. Well, you know who else is sharing in that sentiment? The head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. A couple of clips that we want to play now, which really reflect, one, how important that victory was to the team, and then, two, how big a price they had to pay for a 5-4 regulation win over the Seattle Kraken. It might be a harbinger of what's to come in the future for this group, but regardless, let's play. Laddie, you know what? I'll let you choose. Pick whatever Boudreaux clip you want to play. we got two of them, which I think really exemplify what we're talking about here. We'll play one, then we'll come back, chat about it for a moment. Then we'll play the next. Here is Bruce Boudreaux, Canucks head coach, following not just a 5-4 win for their first win of the year, but his 600th career victory. It hasn't set in yet. Like It's a pretty exhausting game, but I mean, uh, uh, the one thing I can say is, is the guys... You know, they let it all out there. I mean, I'm blocking shots, and I know it's difficult when you haven't won and you got a lead at the end, but uh, they certainly wanted to win. And so you could tell from the beginning of the game that they wanted to win, and they were pretty pretty uh, ready for the game. So it was good. I, I'm laughing and kind of shaking my head. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm happy the Canucks won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it was the eighth game of the season against the Seattle Crack, and they're like, they left, they left it all on the line. Oh yeah, Gosh, no, like, no, no, that, that's 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 where we're at. That's, that's where very, we're at right now. That's a very important thing to bring up because <laughs> the reality of the situation. And again, I don't want to be house of negativity at six ten in the morning, but the reality of this situation is the team is not good. The Canucks, I'm talking about, they got outplayed last night yeah. by Seattle, especially if Ed Evans in at five on five. They're not good. They're depleted. They're still trying to figure some things out. Some guys are slumping. They had to play that hard. And I'm talking three fights. And Miller was the, the embodiment of the whole thing. Miller fought in the first period and then almost snapped his leg blocking a shot in the third <laughs> to get a Thursday night regulation win over a Seattle Kraken team that isn't all that great themselves. Like, that's where you're at. Yeah. Like, Boudreaux wasn't mincing words. They're going to have to play that hard and put that amount of effort into the game to scratch out results right now. And hopefully get pretty bad goaltending in the other side. Right. right? And maybe for the foreseeable future because Hughes and Besser and Dermott, all these guys aren't exactly walking through the door tonight. It's just, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's been a lot of teams that have compensated for a lack of talent and ability with elbow grease and hard work and grit and all that stuff. It's just... The Canucks, when we looked at the roster, they're not necessarily built that way. We just didn't expect to be here at Game 8. No, I think I think that's why I was kind of chuckling and shaking my head. The type of quote that's coming out of the dressing room after a win over the Seattle Kraken yeah. in Game 8 of the season. You know, I, I, you know, we went into this season, and I was kind of like, I don't know if they're a playoff team. You know, like coin toss, maybe. Maybe if a few things go their way, um, and yet – you know, he, here we are. Mm-hmm. What else do we have out of the dressing room? Well, uh, Boudreaux also talking about what we were talking about off the hop. 
the relief, the sense of relief, the sense of feeling good vibes in the room, all the things that you and I got to do this morning that we haven't been able to do all season. We get to play the Detroit fan blogger. We get to do the Canucks win, Canucks win. We had a little bit of a grin on our face. Apparently that vibe. Also in the Canucks room afterwards, Boudreaux talking about just how much this win meant, maybe for the mentals more than anything else for his group. Just to, to hear the music in the game, in the room and know how hard they've, uh, you know, I mean, they've practiced and they've, they've never given up hope. It's only one game, but I mean, the spirit has never been down where we've gone into a game and go, oh, woe is me. So uh, I, I think it was a great reward for them. So... At the end of the day, when, when you're outplayed at 5-on-5, five five, and the Canucks were very much outplayed at 5-on-5, five five, again, the shots were 36-19 to 19 yeah. for Seattle. Um, you need a few things to go your way, and the most important thing to go your way is special teams. And while the Canucks did give up a power play goal right at the end, it was 6-on-4. Seattle had pulled the goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought overall the Canucks won the special teams battle because they had two power play goals of their own. And until that late Seattle power play, the penalty killing got it done. Yep. And that's what so often hasn't happened for the Canucks this season. You look at the special teams and you're like, Oh, either the power play or the the penalty killing was terrible. Or in some cases it was both. Um, I still can't say, like, I'm still not going to sit here and say it's like, that was finally one that Thatcher Demko stole no. for the Vancouver Canucks because, you know, while he did make a fair number of saves, I mean, again, he had 36 shots on him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look right. He doesn't look himself. Uh, there was one or two goals that I'm sure he'd like back. And it begs the question of, what is Bruce Boudreaux going to do tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Does he go back to Demko or does he turn to Spencer Martin in a home game against Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins? Right now, either of those options don't look particularly great. Like the first one is, you know, Demko's going to be tired and mm-hmm. he doesn't look particularly good anyway. So that's not a good-looking option. And the second one is uh it's Spencer Martin. Yeah, against a rested and hungry and salty, not like actual salt. They just they're pissed off because they lost. Pittsburgh Penguins team, Laddie, you're our resident goalie guru. Now you've got the metrics that say one thing. You've got last night's performance. By the way, what did you think of Demko last night? Uh, it looks like the structure in front of him needs a little bit of work. Is what I'm seeing it, with the style that he plays. Mm-hmm. I I think he would really benefit from having just a little bit a little bit of more predictability in front of him. I think would be nice because you're you talking look, about the chaotic. Nature yeah, of the just a little chances? bit. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Uh, you look at some of the scramble attempts, and he's made some great saves on those scramble opportunities. But it's not the way you want to play a game. You want to be able to to make it easy for your goaltender. And they, was they it really that different last it. season though? A little bit. Yeah. I, I feel like this year it's been just coming in waves. Well, I mean, right? look, at their, no, look at the defense. Look at yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Been, there were so many injuries. I don't even have Quinn Hughes out there. So, yeah, I think it's 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 gotten worse this year. Second sure. question: Who do you play in net tonight? Uh, after you get in the win, I think you go with Martin. I think you you give Demko sure. a bit of a breather, yeah. and especially because okay. it was a heavy workload night. Yeah, I don't think you want to be running him back to back, especially if you guys have been saying he doesn't look right. You don't want to exacerbate the problem and, and have him in there if there is something wrong. With well, I, I I mean, I 100% agree with you. I would go with Spencer Martin. It's just the 
you know that you've got a you got a veteran head coach in Bruce Boudreaux who mm-hmm. at, over the course of his career has has played his number one goalie heavily and I don't know I just I just you know I I know what I'd do but I'm just not quite sure what he's going to do tonight. I, I'm in the camp that I would play Martin but I bet it's going to end up being Demko you think so that's how I kind of look at this well I mean Martin hasn't played in 10 days now right that game against Columbus was October 18th yeah so that's a long time to just sit there and there's been what five games since or this would be the fifth game so that's where I think they might go there I think it'll be Martin just because I think if Demko had been playing well this season and mm-hmm. the Canucks were in this position, Boudreaux might be tempted to go with Demko again. But I think the deciding factor in Spencer Martin playing tonight is going to be that Demko has not been particularly good anyway. So other takeaways from last night of import. Uh, Ilya Makayev gets his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck and then gets his second. Uh, by far his best performance as a Canuck. Although Boudreaux said there's still more to give and his game hasn't fully rounded out yet. Uh, McKay have got one on the power play as well. I thought it was another really great game from Elias Pettersson, including the 4-3 goal where he mm-hmm. had the great hand-eye coordination to bat it out of the air. I'll say this. When Patrick Alvine spoke, was yesterday, right? I can't I get the days mixed up. No, Wednesday, sorry, before they took off for Seattle. When Patrick Alvine spoke on Wednesday, one of the key takeaways he said about the lack of success this season was that their top players hadn't been their top players. I almost felt like he should have gone back and said, except for Petey, because <laughs> I think I think Pedersen has been about as good as he could possibly be. The guys around him haven't. So look at last night. Pedersen scores a big goal, has a really great game. JT Miller's come under a ton of fire and a ton of criticism this year, and almost all of it justified. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about a guy when you say, well, what do you do besides racking up the points? If we're going to be hypercritical of the guy, you have to give him credit for dropping the gloves in the first period and then laying down and putting his body on the line and all those great cliches that come along with it in the third when they won the third. And I think Oh, he also had a great pass on Kuzmenko's power play goal. Right. So he really showed the... And here's the thing. We talk about what this team is going to have to do over and over again to get results. That can't be a one-off for old JT. He can't revert back to form where maybe the effort and energy levels and defensive responsibilities are shirked. He's going to have to, I don't think he has to fight every night. That would be a lot. Mm-hmm. But he's going to have to do these sorts of things night after night after night after night because the team isn't good enough to rely on talent and ability and, oh, we're going to show up and beat teams. That's well, 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 ho- hold on. Once Jack Studnika oh, right. gets into the lineup, the Canucks might be able to get away with just talent. So we, yeah, now, okay, six, we should probably transition over to this conversation because in a very oddly timed uh, announcement, it was almost right before puck drop in Seattle, the Canucks announced that they had made a trade to acquire 23, soon to be 24 year old forward Jack Studnika from the Boston Bruins. Now, the first thing I remembered was him at the juniors because his name, his name just stood out. Yeah. Studnika. Yeah. Right. I remember uh, Ray Ferraro between, you know, doing the call and he was, you know, he would talk about him often. Um, the skinny on Studnika is, again, 23, almost 24. I'm not going to bog you down with uh, advanced analysis of what prospects experts have said about him. The, the Coles Notes version, and then we'll turn it over to Don Sweeney as former general manager. The Coles Notes version is a guy that they drafted in the hopes 
that would be the next lineage of centers behind Krejci and Bergeron, which is hilarious because they're still going strong. And Stadnik is now on his way out of Boston. Never really materialized. He was a second-round pick. You heard the words development stalled a lot with him in Boston. They had high hopes. There was a fairly high ceiling for him, but the development had stalled within the organization. Let's turn it over now to the general manager that just traded Jack Studnika to Vancouver. Uh, that's Boston Bruins GM Don Sweeney. Take it away, laddie. His initial onboarding was really good. You know, his trajectory was really good. Uh, you know, during the, the COVID year, which was disjointed for several, a lot of players, um, he just kind of stalled just a little bit. Uh, and then it was up and down and opportunities um, in and out. Um, no fault of Jack's, maybe more fault on ours in terms of not being able to just get him uh, fully acclimated to the level that he had been playing at uh, at the AHL and producing. Um, you know, tried him in different positions, played him on the wing a little bit. Uh, um, just didn't find the traction, you know, when when uh, when he had his opportunities uh, to really take advantage of it. And I think Jack would admit he didn't play his absolute best hockey even the other night. Um, but he's a great kid. He works awful hard, really cares. Probably he's hard on himself, um, you know, to allow some of the mistakes to just pass through. Um, and I wish him nothing but the best. He's a super kid, and we're uh, we're grateful for all the uh, the time we got to spend with him here as a Boston Bruin. So the Canucks gave up a couple prospects, and they're interesting prospects in this trade. One was a guy that was once pretty highly touted, Mikey DiPietro, the goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I feel, I, hopefully he can get into a better situation in, in the Bruins organization. Apparently his it's worse, by the way. Well, his development was really stalled by, um, COVID. Uh, he just, he just didn't play enough. Um, and the other guy is a guy that we actually somehow mentioned on the show yesterday, Jonathan Myrenberg, uh, a right shot defenseman, 19 years old. Uh, Swedish kid, fifth round draft pick in 2021, but arguably the Canucks' top right shot defensive prospect in the system. Now, <laughs> there are some organizations that have legitimate right shot defensive prospects in their system. Yeah, Myrenberg, I'm not saying he was like totally not legit, but it's not like he was a blue chipper. He just happened to be the Canucks' top right-shot defensive prospect. It's like the best restaurant in a crappy town, right? It might not be the best restaurant in the world, but it's our best restaurant. It's one of yeah. those sorts of things. So we'll have to wait and see um, if Myrenberg, uh pans out. I think what well what the Canucks have said is that they like Studnika, right? This isn't just a, um, oh, Curtis Lazar is out for a month we need a right shot defenseman uh and we had to give up some prospects to get him because we're trying to stay in the race Mm -hmm. for this season I'm sure that played into it in some small part but what the Canucks have said is that they have liked this kid and Patrick Alvin has said that he liked him from his draft year and they've kind of been following his progress so this is a test of Patrick Alvin's scouting eye. Yes, absolutely. Right? This yep. is a test. You know, we'd heard this before. Uh, I've heard this before from other Canucks general managers. God, I was trying to remember the guy that Gillis, Mike Gillis, was a long time ago, said he'd been watching from the very start. I think it might have been someone out of Carolina. 
And then the player came and it was like, oh, my God, this is the guy you had your eye on? He's right. terrible, right? right. Like, and right. Jim Benning had said that a few times about prospects that, you know, didn't really pan out. Uh, so this is Patrick Alvin's test. Yeah, for sure. Right? Where you're kind of like, all right, well, you like this player. You think this player hasn't received the opportunity uh, that he, I don't know if the deserves is the right word in Boston, but you think this is this is an underappreciated asset? Well, let's see what this player looks like then. Uh, and in small, again, early days and small sample size, but so far, um, I've actually been a fan of what Alvin has done and the type of players that he's targeted. Now, the dangers, and this often dates back to the Benning regime, is that we've heard about this trying to get the age group guys, and you're targeting certain players that inevitably have not worked out in other organizations. That's fair to say, right? I mean, the Canucks had a whole bunch of them, and not a lot of them worked out. So far, there was the Travis Dermott trade at last year's deadline, which, again, I like Dermott on a personal level because I think he's a good player, but we haven't seen it play out in real time because injuries and a variety of other things. Right now, the biggest win for the Alvin tenure in terms of scouting and talent identification is Nils Oman. I think that right there should give you hope that maybe he's got the right eye for the right kind of players because to have Oman come in, like they, that, that's been a great move by them. And it's been overshadowed by the fact that everything about the organization has been horrible to start the season. But for them to find this kid and identify him as someone that could fit in and then him to respond the way that he did with his second chance mm -hmm. at the NHL, that's a win overall. So what you're hoping now is can you get a recreation of the Nils Oman situation with Jack Studnika? Because I think Studnika is going to play tonight. I wouldn't be surprised. They are desperate for forwards. And if he's not in tonight, he will be in this lineup right away. Mm -hmm. He's not going to Abbotsford. He's not here to work on his game down on the farm. He actually has to clear waivers to go down. Well, that's, that's part one of the, the reason reasons, why yeah. Boston traded him. Yeah. So you're looking at it and saying, okay, can you get another? And it's not even a diamond in the rough. It's someone that will relish a second opportunity and has the traits and skill set that you think might work in your system. Now, these are all, they're long shots. I'm not going to lie, right? I've seen all the makeups and markups on Studnika. Essentially, if he pans out at this stage of his career, a win is that he becomes a sort of everyday NHL forward, but just a guy at the NHL level, but still at the NHL level. I think it was Zach Dalpy. Oh, yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, I remember him. I don't know I why. Think that was, I think that was the name. Yep. I remember, Underrated. No, no, you're right. That's the guy because he came from Carolina. I like Zach Delphi. You do? He's fast. He, <laughs> he's a top six guy, but he never gets top six opportunities. Oh, I, just, I, just found the, I just found the quote from Ben Kuzma on September 29th, 2013. We definitely acquired depth. Zach Delpe is a player we've been tracking for a couple of years. Who's the other guy that got around then? Jeremy Welsh? Jeremy I think, Welsh. Yeah, it was yeah. Like, and they were like the same guy. Like, I don't, <laughs> they had different names and like all different DNA, but they were the same guy, right? They were the same thing. Okay, wow, we're way up against it for time. That's shocking from this show. Okay, as mentioned, we have a big show ahead. Uh, we're going to um, pivot from last night's game in Seattle to tonight's game in Vancouver against the Penguins. Sean Gentili from the Athletic in Pittsburgh is going to join us to talk about this Penguins team that got off to a great start to the season, but then faltered a bit in Edmonton and Calgary before coming to Vancouver. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.
634 on a feel-good Friday here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. A few programming notes to pass along. We were so excited about the Canucks' victory that we overlooked some things in the first segment. So one, yes, it is an Ask Us Anything Friday. Get yours in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. The premise is quite simple. Ask us anything, and we'll answer it. AUA, Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. We're also going to do our locks of the week, NFL variety. We're also uh, back in business with playnow.com, so it's going to come courtesy of them. That'll be in the final half hour of the program. We'll have those up online as well, so you can either bet with us or against us. You should probably bet against us. Uh, what else do we need to tell the people about here? I'm missing something. I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, that's right. The Canucks won last night, so it was a, f- a bunch of firsts because it was their first win of the year. It's the first time that they got to do the post-game victory dressing room award handout thing. You right. know, like all yeah. these other teams have, like, uh, we won tonight. Uh, here's the axe. Or <laughs> we won tonight. Put on this funny hat. Like those kind of things. Here's right? the hard worker helmet. That's right. Uh, the Canucks have the belt once mm-hmm. again, the championship wrestling belt. That went to Bo Horvat, who took... 312 face-offs yesterday, give mm-hmm. or take one or two. Yeah. Won most of them, so good on him. And then in a nice gesture, Bo gave the game puck to Bruce Boudreaux, who, of course, won his 600th regular season NHL game yesterday. You can't do that after a loss, especially the winning puck. Especially the winning Very puck. Very difficult to do. Yeah, it's tough. So we're caught up on everything now, uh, little programming notes and things that we missed in the intro. Do we have Sean ready now? Let's go to the phone lines. No rest for the weary. we got to preview another Canucks game. That goes tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. The Pittsburgh Penguins are the opponent. Our next guest from the Athletic in Pittsburgh, Sean Gentile, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Sean? How are you? So you guys are saying that Bo had not been giving pucks to Bruce after losses? Correct. Are you sure? Yes. Are are we certain of that? They were also not handing out a championship belt after losses. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the overtime loss puck, Bruce. <laughs> we got a point. First point of the season. Had a little frowny face on it. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The the blown multi-goal lead helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Who will wear it tonight? Lots of candidates in that Canucks room. Uh, hey, it's you know fi- what? It's I'll... a fi- it's a fireman's hat. Very cool. <laughs> okay, you know what? While I admire your sense of humor, this is serious business, and we're not going to be downers because things are looking up for this team that had to scratch and claw their way to a 5-4 victory against Seattle while they got horribly outshot. Whatever. They're playing tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I don't know if you saw Josh Yohei, who you know very well, uh, with the team in Vancouver. He was at practice yesterday, and I think he classified it as a salty team with Mike Sullivan barking at them. And it makes sense because the Penguins got off to a great start this year, and then they kind of hit the skids in Alberta, giving up a combined 10 goals in losses to Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah, that second period against the Oilers was comically bad. And they looked, I mean, it was 10 times worse than they looked at it at any point in the regular season up to that point, right? And that kind of did them in against Edmonton. Uh, and then, uh, you know, third third period, they were just running around, you know, panicked, basically trying to, because it was 6-1 after the second period or whatever it was, right? Terrible. Mm-hmm. And then they come out the day after against the Flames. And it was a classic back-to-back loss where, you know, you face one good team, then you face another good team, and you've already traveled to 
you know, you're you're already on the Western trip and they look, you know, dead legged. So the end result is was two was two junk games. Sullivan seemed angry as he as he often does after after performances like that. So I wouldn't surprise you here that it was, you know, a salty practice or ho- however Josh, you know, classified that classified it because they stunk and they and they and they stunk for two straight games. Prior to that, though, uh, the Penguins looked unreal, and most specifically, they looked unreal offensively. I think they had six goals in every single victory prior to that. Now, um, I want to talk about that before we get into tonight's game because I don't, I'm not necessarily taken by surprise when a team with that many good and prolific offensive players can rack up the points, but six goals every night, you knew it wasn't sustainable, but it's also got to suggest that this team, when they're cooking, can really put the puck in the back of the net. Oh God, absolutely. I mean the the Gensel. I mean, look, it's it's easy to say like, oh wow, Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel, great together, right? We know that it's been true for a bunch of years, but we hadn't seen them for all that much time with Ricard Raquel because he got hurt, you know, early in the playoffs. He was a trade deadline acquisition, kind of threw that line together a, a little bit initially after the trade. So we hadn't seen all that much of them together, and they looked great, right? So so you have that have Jason Zucker who's dealing with a minor injury, but he looked like, you know, looked closer to the 25 goal guy he was with Minnesota on the, on the Malkin line, which, you know, useful as a player as Jason Zucker is, we hadn't seen the the, the goal scoring touch all that much here. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's really what it is. It's a, it's a insanely good top six when they're, when they're on their game. And that's in that kind of combined with, how well Tristan Jari was playing at the, especially in, in the first chunk of games there. That's that's what that's what powered them. You know, they look they look really really good. How has Malkin looked so far? I mean, remember dating back to the off season, there's question about whether Malkin is going to be back, and questions about whether Latang is going to be back. They're both back. How has Malkin looked? He looked better than he did last year. I think what you're seeing is, you know, he's a year removed from that. ACL surgery, right? And he's old, and that's fine. You know, he's it's gonna that contract's of course gonna be a problem in three years, but it's also still true that sometimes it takes a while to to bounce bounce all the way back, especially from knee stuff, especially for hockey players, and especially for old guys. You know, he it, he doesn't look like it's you know 2012 or anything, but he's definitely you know in terms of in terms of his skating and just you know the jump the jump he has we're seeing stuff that we, that we certainly didn't see last year. And I think that, you know, combined with some added production from his line mates is, is, uh, is, 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 is what they needed to see early. I, I think there's a lot of assuaged fears around that team based on, based on how, how good he looked, you know, off the jump. I mean, Crosby and Malkin have combined for 18 points through seven games this year. It's kind of remarkable, right? And there's always that argument about, do we bring the band back and get them back together again? Or is it time to move on? Especially when guys are getting longer in the tooth. I mean, we've seen it in Boston year after year, and they're probably a great example of why you run it back because, you know, they bring Krejci back, and all of a sudden they're off to the best start in franchise history. They won again last night when Marshawn came back. They're 7-1. I think Pittsburgh's a great example of, you know, we've developed something here. We've got an identity here. We've got these two iconic players. Maybe the key is to give them as many cracks at it as you can because when you do, as we're seeing right now, again, small sample size, but combined 18 points in seven games for the two of them, they're just such really talented guys that you've almost got to give them a chance until they show they can't do it anymore. 
yeah, like what's the other option? Did you <laughs> did you did you split that group up and say, all right, thanks, thanks for everything, Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. We know that you're both still pretty good players, but uh, we're gonna try something else here. It's, it it wasn't an option, and to see that it was treated as one, you know, is treated as like like a serious one, honestly, or or a smart one, I guess is probably the better way to put it by by so many people was was odd. Because that team made their decision years ago. Like Jim Rutherford set the course for better or worse for what these next few years were going to look like. Right, right. Like, do you, is the, the question really boils down to: Do you want to try win, try to win another championship with Sidney Crosby or not? That sure. was like ultimately the choice in, in the off season. And I don't know how, if you're running a hockey team, you can answer that question in the negative, right? Just go out, go out and try to do it again. Will it work? Probably not. But uh, but otherwise, what's the point in playing these games, and what's the point in having these players? You know that that's a great thing to bring out because uh, now that Rutherford and Alvin and like half of the other Pittsburgh Penguins staff are in Vancouver, uh, we mm-hmm. hear more and more anecdotally that they're talk about how we did things in Pittsburgh, the way we went about things in Pittsburgh, and Alvin's always talking about practice habits and structure and professionalism and everything. I do wonder how much of that in Pittsburgh was just do what Sidney Crosby's doing and just act the way uh-huh. he acts and just he just sets the table and then let everything <laughs> else go from there. And if you could be as good as Sidney Crosby is on the ice, that would be a nice bonus. Like a huge help, yeah. I in my opinion, I think it would be better to run a hockey team that had Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin down the middle. Me yeah. too. Man. I, I think like, that's, like given the choice, <laughs> would you guys would you guys rather do that? That's yeah. why they listen to this station for analysis mm-hmm. like this, but this is this is what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like a it's like a causation versus correlation thing, right? Where you're like, were, were you like are, were you were you good because you know because of the the way you structured practice, or, or or were you good because of, or did you structure practice well just because it was pretty easy, and you had like elite players? Yeah, Sid's really good at these drills. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow! Look at this guy. Look, look, look at the pucks. Look at the puck skills on on the on the short guy. How about that? I actually like to like to imagine that every day. Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin goes up to Bo Horvat and is like, you know, in in Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby he would do this or he would do this, and Bo Horvat's like, if I hear Sidney Crosby one more time, but it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like unfair to to Bo Horvat. Um, you know, you hear all these comparisons about leadership. Like Sid is first ballot hall of famer and if there was a first ballot for the group of first ballot hall of famers sid would be a first ballot hall of famer and then you get the the management coming in from that team and and they're kind of trying to run it like the old team well that's hard to live up to that yeah the 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 big test is going to be whenever bo comes out to uh comes out for a pregame skate and you see the mcdonald's logo on the ice and Rutherford is staring at him to see like if he like obsessively traces the puck over it, you know, in the same way that Crosby. Like, just try to pass on, pass on all of Crosby's like many OCD tendencies and weird superstitions and and, and all that stuff because that's that's what makes him good, right? It's it's not just that he's good at hockey; it's that he walks the exact same way to the dressing room and eats the same weird sandwich before games and right. wears the same gear. Like you, you're losing track of the stuff that made Sidney Crosby good. But wasn't I mean, wasn't there something I seem to remember this from the Stanley Cup final? Like he did not go to the podium. 
Like he, he refused. Never, yeah, he refused to go to the podium. So he would do these uh, scrums at his dressing room stall. And it's the Stanley Cup final. So there's a few more media there. And so there would be like 50 reporters, sweaty and gross media reporters, crawling all over each other to get in position to put their microphone in front of Sid. And, you know, we're all kind of like, hey, it'd be a lot easier if you just went to the podium. And he just absolutely refused. This is like after years of seeing him talk every single day. Like, it's very, very rare that his weirdness, like his his internalized, you know, weird set of uh, set of superstitions and all that stuff, it very rarely turns into a pain in the ass for anybody else. That is like that is like the only time because he was like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I don't like it, and he still doesn't like it. Like every now and then, I think by the time they got to the Cup final, like post game and stuff, there were times where he, you know caved and sat at the podium but he was pretty pretty solid like no not not doing that and he's still that way speaking to sean gentilly from the athletic in pittsburgh here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 it's the canucks and penguins tonight seven o'clock from rogers arena uh sean as we hearken back to more of those halcyon pittsburgh days with rutherford Mm -hmm. and company there uh what we just saw last night was the Trader Jim slash Trader Patrick Alvine, where the Canucks made a deal and got someone in that fits with this age group gap that they want to try and fill. Now, refresh my memory. There were some of these deals that the, the duo made in Pittsburgh, in part because they were parting with so many draft picks. They needed to find guys in alternate ways and alternate methods than draft and develop. Uh, what do you remember about those times where uh, the deals were made for guys to come in at a younger age and try and grow with the group because they just didn't have a plethora of draft picks at their disposal. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we saw that a lot. We saw a lot with the, with the undrafted free agents too. That was, that was another way that Jim really loved, you know, trying to right, add right, some, right. some kind of relative youth to the organization because he wisely and understandably and effectively traded away his first round picks because again if you have Sidney Crosby and you're not trying to win what's the point like that's like the guiding light for, for for the whole thing right but yeah I think I think what you saw is sometimes it worked and, and sometimes it didn't like we a lot of times we saw it you know on the on the back end I think he loved he loved shuffling like the bottom the bottom pair defenseman he loved going out and getting Jamie Alexiak and then deciding that he didn't want Jamie Alexiak <laughs> and trading him back to the stars right like yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot of that stuff. So yeah, the the Stanichka trade—that's prime, perfect, Jim Rutherford because you know stuff's going bad, and it and it does seem like you know his his impulse still is is to try to do something like that's like his first his first look, even if it's something minor like that. So yeah, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't surprised to see that. It's like six and one, half dozen in the other. It's right. like yeah, yeah, we'll see if this see, see if this works. It ostensibly kind of fills a need and, and, and ticks a box for him, but ultimately, like, is that is that is it going to matter all that much? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, before we let you go, we are contractually obligated for a Chase Claypool update from our resident Abbotsford, <laughs> P- Pittsburgh Chase Claypool reporter. Uh, I guess there's not much positives coming out of the Steelers, like period, because they are bad, bad. And this is going to be Mike Tomlin's first losing season as Steelers head coach, isn't it? Absolutely, his yeah. first uh, his first non-winning season. He yes. had some he had some 500 seasons there. Yeah, it's it's brutal. It's brutal offensive play calling. I think uh, Claypool, honestly, his his involvement is a great kind of microcosm of that because he's a six four slot receiver who 
you know, runs faster than everybody and they can't find a way to get him the ball. Like, he's just like, I, I like maybe, maybe try sending him on a go route or two. And he, he said as much, but yeah, terrible play calling, terrible team. You know, welcome, welcome to the world of uh, losing seasons, Mike Tomlin, because it's, it's on the way. Is, is the, uh, are, are Steelers fans still optimistic about Pickett? They're optimistic about Pickett relatively, but I think there's a, a genuine concern that Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator here, is going to do something to like le- legitimately screw up his development. And I think those are I think those are founded fears because this is one of the worst one of the worst offensive game plans that I've ever seen in my life. And there's you know consistently week in week out. And there's it's, this isn't a great team. They're, they should probably shouldn't make. They were playoffs are always going to be a tough a tough ask for them, but there's way more talent on the offensive side of the ball than we've seen. And it falls down. It falls to the offensive coordinator. And I think people are starting to freak out about it. Yeah. Sean, thanks for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the weekend. We'll do this again soon. Fellas. Sounds great. Thanks bud. Appreciate it. Sean Gentile from the athletic in Pittsburgh here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet, six fifty. Also sprinkling a little chase Claypool and Seahawks. I'm excited about the Seahawks uh, Steelers talk as well. The Steelers have the Eagles, I think. Yes, that's correct. And the Eagles, Eagles are eleven point favorites in that with one. their big new shiny acquisition, Robert Quinn from the mm-hmm. Chicago Bears as well. Okay. Um back to the Canucks really quick because we've mentioned the line no rest for the weary. Well, it's very, very appropriate for what the Canucks are going into tonight. They're gonna get a very good Pittsburgh Penguins team and a rested Pittsburgh Penguins team. And if you look at the trends of teams that have come west in early thus far in the NHL campaign, they've all feasted out on the Canucks, right? Granted, there's only two of them, but Buffalo extended a, a winning streak with their 5-1 win in Vancouver. And then Carolina came in in similar fashion to how Pittsburgh's coming in tonight. Yeah, Alberta was not kind to them. Well, Vancouver sure was because, you know, Carolina snapped the mini two-game losing skid in Vancouver. The Canucks are so undermanned right now on the blue line. You know they should be underdogs in every game they play. Yeah, and and, and, and unless unless maybe Arizona comes here, I had a good gambler moment on the Canucks. I did the inverse yesterday when they fell behind in Seattle. The money line got up to plus two twenty. Oh yeah, and I yeah, wagered. That's good. On, I wagered on the Canucks. That's nice. Um, it was. It's very it's stressful at the best of times watching mm-hmm. the Canucks when they're either holding a lead or rallying to come back. Yeah, not that there was I had a ton of money on the line, mm-hmm. but I assumed it was a Drancian four dollar bet. Or no, something? I threw down. Uh, okay, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Gambler. Yes, um, I will point out that when Garland scored the empty netter to make it five three, mm-hmm. it was like that scene in Goon where they have the fight. He's like, he's, they're not done yet. Like, they're not. They're not done yet. Just don't worry. <laughs> It's not over yet. I know you tweeted out like it's over. I'm like, it's not done yet. Just wait. And sure enough, 5 4. So then nail biting time. And it that game last night, it, it, it took a lot out of everybody. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of people mention that while relieved, Bruce Boudreaux also looked like physically and mentally exhausted afterwards. I'm very curious to see what Oliver Ekman Larson looks like tonight. Speaking and of how physically much, and mentally exhausted. And how much ice time he's going to get. He played. I think 27 minutes last night, and by the end of it, it looked like he played uh, 87 minutes. Mm-hmm. Be like weekend at Bernie's, where he's just carried around by his defensive and partner. That Why contract. I'm sorry. <laughs> that contract. There's a lot left in that contract. It's 19 it's, more years, is it? And, and it's not. It's not looking. It's not trending the right way. You know, Ekman Larson came to he Vancouver. Played, he played 27 minutes last night. Yeah, but he he has not looked good this season. 
And probably because big... he's playing 27 minutes a night. Mm, yeah. I yeah. think it's helping. I mean, no, it doesn't help, but but that's where the Canucks are at right now without Quinn Hughes and, and the blue line as it is. Jack Rathbone barely played last night. This coaching staff does not trust Jack Rathbone. That, no, that much no, is no, clear. No, no. That much is entirely clear. Uh, if, if the Canucks didn't have um, serious injury issues, and what is it? Riley Stillman's on IR now. Like Travis Dermott, LTIR, LTIR, yeah. right? So all these guys that that are missing out of the lineup. It's the only reason Jack Rathbone is playing, but they're almost playing him just because they, they they have to. Guillaume mm. Breezeball is playing. Uh, for God's sake, he's playing a lot. He played 16 minutes last. You see, yeah, they, he plays more than Rathbone. Oh yeah, he's a grizzled vet. They don't <laughs> they don't trust Rath- Rathbone, and I think that's fair. Rathbone, yeah, has, Rathbone has, has no, not has not been good with the puck. Yeah, and he's got no. I don't even blame him. Like he's still trying to figure out the league. He's got very little. And I know for all the upside, it's great, but it's a tough league. And I know that's cliche as well, but it is a very difficult league, especially when you're a young defenseman on a bad blue line. There's not a lot of uh, sheltering, and there's not a lot of insulation. Like you're looking around, and you're. He's like Breezeball. I was teammates with him. In Abbotsford. And now we're both up here together. High yeah. five and everything. By the way, you see they buried Pod Colson last night? I didn't realize this until going over, the bo- bo- going over the box score. He was mm-hmm. a low man time on ice. You're, oh, you're just realizing this? I thought you knew that. Andy's kind of nodding in agreement with a look of, ugh. Yeah, no, I didn't I, I didn't realize that. But, but your boy Kuzmenko got plenty of ice. That's, so that's right. the important thing. That was a nice goal that they scored last night, actually. Bruce was very complimentary of JT Miller's seeing eye pass mm-hmm. on that Well, those play. are the types of passes that that the, it's the high risk, high reward type of pass. Uh, so far this season, it's mostly been the risk part, uh, <laughs> but it was nice to see a reward part on one of these, you know, JT Miller passes where he's got the terrific vision, mm-hmm. and on that one, he executed. Um, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We have not done a single Ask Us Anything for Ask Us Anything Friday, so here's how the next hour is going to go. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, ESPN, NFL Nation, Seahawks reporter. We'll talk to him right off the hop for this very big game, which Jason astutely pointed out. Of all the games in the National Football League this weekend, Seahawks-Giants is the only one with two teams with winning records. So we'll talk to Brady about that. And then at 7.30, we've got an entire open segment. We will queue up some Ask Us Anythings. We will do a whole bunch of them. Uh, It is, again, a very simple premise. You ask us anything, we answer that anything. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Get them in. Hashtag them A-U-A. 7 o'clock hour coming up. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.